Today, Pastor John is preaching the sermon, When We Feel Betrayed, from Psalm 55, another sermon in his series on the Psalms. Are there any sufferings as difficult as betrayal? Not only do we lose an intimate friend, but that friend makes themselves our enemy, using the secrets of our friendship as weapons against us. Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. Today, we see it in David's life through Psalm 55. Greetings. It is my privilege to speak with you this morning about Psalm 55. We are continuing our series on the book of Psalms, and I've entitled today's message, When We Feel Betrayed. I think that we could assert that the feelings of betrayal can apply to any person. Even the wicked probably know what it feels like to feel betrayed. I'm reminded of the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel in the Bible, Queen Athaliah, and she sought to destroy the line of David and destroy all of his descendants, but they rescued one little baby and kept him hidden until he was seven years old. His name was Josiah. And when they proclaimed him king, um, Athaliah, she said, treason, treason. And so she felt betrayed, but it was uh, she was a wicked person and, and it was the right thing to do to betray her, to commit treason against the wicked queen. And yet um, she still knows what it felt like to feel betrayed. And so this psalm helps us understand a universal feeling. But it does come to us from the perspective of a righteous person. And so when we are righteous or trying to be, at least, like David would be, um, we try to do the right thing. When someone betrays us, it's especially painful. And the Lord Jesus himself certainly knows what it was like to be betrayed. And so while um, we all can understand what it feels like, this is a psalm for those who try to pursue righteousness with God and get betrayed by a person, by a trusted friend. Um, also, I just want to thank you for helping me through this um, rehearsal process. This recording is sort of a dry run for me as I prepare for the live presentation on Sunday mornings. And so I appreciate that you can have it. If you're not with us on Sunday morning, it must mean that you are ill or otherwise unable to attend church right now. And so we're just so glad that you can participate with us this way. I think about many of you who I know are homebound, and I think of you often and think of you even while I'm speaking right now to my camera. One of the things I wanted to let you know also is that um, when at church, when it is typically our custom to read the entire passage before the message. Um, what I've been doing now is rather than me reading it as part of the message, uh, some other leader in the church is reading it. And so it's been kind of encouraging to me to hear someone else uh, read God's word as a preparation just before I have the privilege of speaking on it. And so let me read Psalm 55 for us today, and then we'll talk about it in detail. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words. 
for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, one like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God, as we walked among the worshipers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. So first of all, let me just make some observations and uh, share some things about the context of this particular psalm. Um, first of all, I want to say that this is, a lot of ways, probably a reference or a poem written to the occasion of the story of Ahithophel in David's life. Let me just um, explain to you a little bit. What happened was that uh, David's son Absalom had a grudge against David, and, and he worked for many years, and he produced a rebellion against his father. And so that's a very long and sad story. But either way, this Absalom is trying to kill his father and take over the kingdom. And Ahithophel is one of David's close friends and a good counselor. And the text tells us that his counsel was so much that it was like an angel. And Ahithophel gave very good advice. He was a very good strategician, a good uh, strategic thinker, just a really good advisor. And Ahithophel joined in the... Um, rebellion. He joined Absalom, and so he betrayed David and joined Absalom. And there's reasons for that, probably. I mean, all of these things are the results of David's sin with Bathsheba, and um, and it turns out that if you understand that Bathsheba is actually Ahithophel's granddaughter, and so Ahithophel picked up an offense against David for what he had done, and, um, and so he takes it, he waits for an opportunity, and sure enough, when Absalom rebels, Ahithophel joins the forces. And so as David is fleeing from Jerusalem, we pick up this account in 2 Samuel chapter 15, David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. He and his family were they were fleeing from the army coming under Absalom. His head was covered and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And so David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. You see, that was the only hope that David had, was that somehow God would 
would twist and bend Ahithophel's good advice so that Absalom would not benefit from it. And as we see through the story, God did intervene and cause Ahithophel's advice to be overthrown. And Ahithophel actually um, realizes that he's not been listened to, that Absalom's conspiracy is going to fail, and Ahithophel goes out and hangs himself, very much like the story of Judas with the Lord Jesus. So I just wanted you to be aware that there's a connection to that story of Ahithophel, probably in the psalm. There's another psalm in 41, so we're studying Psalm 55, which talks about this feeling of betrayal. But in Psalm 41, there's also a reference, and this is that reference there. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And so that psalm is also a reference to this Ahithophel story. And this is the psalm that is quoted by Jesus in John 13, 18. So on the night that Jesus had his last supper with his disciples, when he was betrayed, he, um, he says to his disciples, one of you is going to betray you. Train me. Let me pick up the account here in John. I am not referring to all of you. I know that those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. And he quotes Psalm 41. He who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And so Jesus did this. He chose Judas and he did all these things to fulfill the Scripture. And he says, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So Jesus is just letting his disciples know this is not an accident. This is not a surprise to me. This is all a plan. It's all part of God's plan. I'm doing this so that you can know that I'm reliable, and then therefore you can know that I'm speaking for the Father, so you know him, and people will be able to trust you too. And so he said, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And so Jesus experienced the pain, the anguish in his spirit from the betrayal. And he testifies, says, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So one of the disciples, one of them is going to take this role like Ahithophel and betray David. Someone's going to betray Jesus. And so this Psalm 55 gives voice to the experience of Jesus through this process in the same way that it gives voice to David's experience as he was betrayed by his friend. Also, I want you to notice that in Psalm 55 that the speaker, the writer, first is addressing God directly, and then he speaks to his enemy as if his enemy were there, and then the rest of the psalm, he, he is sort of the voice is to the reader. So it's not directly first person talking to God, it's not directly speaking to the enemy, he's talking to us, so he's giving us advice. So as the psalmist works through his pain, he addresses God first, he addresses his enemy, and then he speaks to us as he figures things out. So let me just show you, the very first verse starts out with, Listen to my prayer, O God, do not ignore my plea, hear me and answer me. So he's speaking to God at the beginning. But then he says later down in verse 13, or starting at verse 12, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide but it is you, one like myself, my companion, my close friend. So it, his voice switches to the second person, straight to the other person. So instead of talking to God, it switches to talking to this betrayer. And then finally down in verse 15, the voice changes. And from now on, it's always just sort of to the audience. Let death take my enemies by surprise. So he's not saying it to his enemy, 
He's not saying it to God. He's kind of just saying it out loud to the rest of us. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. So I just wanted you to see those um, things a little bit here as we get started. <clears throat> the next thing I want you to know is that I see four parts of his primary prayer to God. So there's four components in his prayer. There, a couple of them are requests, sort of, and a couple of them are confessions. And the interesting thing to me is that God um, is faithful to David. And what David is doing is he's pouring out his heart to God. So this is a very painful time for David. But instead of telling other people, he's telling God. And so he's pouring his heart out to God. And I think there's a good model for us. I want to just show you some structural things a little bit about the psalm. This is the entire text of the psalm kind of all laid out. And I know that's too small for you to see or read, but I want you to just see that there's kind of two movements. The whole song goes through one, through all of the points once, and then it kind of goes through all of those same points in another way with a resolution. It's almost like if we were in music, it would be the, um, the song doesn't end on the first part. So happy birthday to, it just leaves it right there at the two. But then the second time it goes, you, it resolves the line, it resolves the song. So happy birthday to you song. Um, I'm sure there'd be better examples than that, but that's the one I'm using for this one. And so I just wanted you to see that there's sort of a structure about them. And what there is, is that the first part, the first request or the first part is he's asking God to listen. And then we see the echo, we see God's response to that. He does listen. And then he says, I'm afraid. And then in the second time through, he talks about how the fear is gone and how God resolved it by rescuing him. And then the third thing he says is, I want to flee or fly away. And I can't wait to tell you how he resolves that in the second time through. And then the fourth thing he says is, do something. Would you just do something? And then God does something in the second time through. So we see all those. So I just want us to start right now, then just recognize that there's sort of a movement. And I'll give you the details on these. But from a high level, there's these four parts to his initial prayer. And then we'll see some other parts that come further. So let me start with, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. So that's the first part of his prayer to God. So his first part is a request. Listen to me. Listen to me, God. I'm in pain here. I need to know that you're listening. I don't know why we are that way, why we would assume God's not listening, but I think maybe the enemy brings that into our hearts or we fear, and so we, we beg God to listen. And look at how when we go through this psalm the second time over in verse, I don't mean the same time, the second half of the psalm, in verse 17, he, he tells us, evening and morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. So his prayer was, listen to me. And then the second time he moves through these ideas, he tells us he did hear my voice. I, morning, noon, and night I was calling and he heard me. He heard me. So then the second thing he says is, my thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. And so David is telling God that he's afraid. His heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I can't stand it. I'm just so afraid because of this wicked evil. Can you imagine having your son and a whole army coming to take you over and all these people that you trusted on their side? And so what David tells God in his prayer is, I'm afraid. 
So the second part of his prayer to God is, I'm really afraid. I, it's okay to tell God how afraid we are. But then when we move through the psalm, the, the second half of the psalm, we see the resolution to this, to the answer to this. Look at this in verse 18. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. So he was afraid, but God rescues him unharmed, even though there were so many who opposed him. So the very things that he was afraid of, God in the end rescues him. And so he rescues me. So the first part of the prayer was, listen to me, God. And then the second time we go through the material in the psalm, he tells us that he did hear my voice. And the second thing he prays is, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And he tells us later that God rescues him. So let's see what the third part is now. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. I would run away. I, I wish I could just run away. I want to escape. I want to fly away. He tells God what he wants to do. And then look at how it gets resolved in the second time through the material. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. Where is the refuge? Where is the place that you could fly to when the storm is bad, where would you go hide? Where is your shelter in the desert, David? It's in God himself. God is enthroned from of old. He doesn't change. So it's all of God's historical faithfulness, his unchanging character. God is the refuge. When we want to fly away, it's just another way of admitting, and maybe we don't realize it, but what we're just saying is we want to go back to God. We want to go back to the unchanging rock. And so I'm so excited to say that when I want to fly away, I can be reminded that God is enthroned. God is in charge. God isn't changing. God is the one from of old. It doesn't matter how scary it is today, David. God is going to take care of you. God hasn't changed. It doesn't matter how pain, much pain you are in, Jesus. Your heart is heavy and broken because of the betrayal that God is enthroned. And so that's a pretty cool thing. All right, the next part of this prayer, the fourth part of this prayer to God. Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl on its walls. So it's almost like this strife is a person that, that prowls on the walls and malice and abuse are within it. It's like this flowing cloak of, of abuse and malice just permeates a, a smoke, a cloud, a fog almost. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. It's a painful place. And he's telling God, do something, confound them. Do something to solve this problem. The, the evil is advancing. Please do something. And how does that idea get resolved as David works through the material in the second part of the psalm? Well, in verse 19, God who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. You see, all of this, this distress and this evil that's flowing through the city, the, the smoke that, that comes over the walls and prowls and all of the evil deeds that are being done in the city and all of the actions, God is hearing and watching. And he will humble them and he will make it right because they 
do not fear him. They're not on God's side. They have no fear of God. They are not uh, God honorers. And so we see it resolved that he will humble them. So these four parts of prayer, listen to me. I'm afraid and I want to fly away. Do something. I can just feel myself saying those kinds of things. And the resolution that comes back on each one is, God hears your voice. He does rescue us. God is, his, is enthroned. He's the one that is your refuge. And he will humble the enemy. And so I see a real parallel pattern that God takes care of these things as he moves through all of the parts of the prayer. But the psalm continues. So we saw the observations in the context of the psalm, the Hithophel. We saw the four parts of his prayer to God. But now I want to see how the psalmist, how David is grieving out the betrayal. So the part that is particularly painful for David is the betrayal. And so if you look at our overall structure, we had those four parts. What we're going to talk now is about grieving out the betrayal. And just like the four parts of prayer um, that were resolved in the second part of the psalm, when he speaks to his enemy face to face, at least as it were in his mind, he does so twice and there's a resolution. He understands where they're coming from. He understands that they are indeed an enemy. And so there's a, there's a good model for us of how David grieves through the loss. It really is a loss of a friend. And look at what he does. He just, he just talks the truth. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. I can handle an enemy. That doesn't surprise me. If it was a foe, I could hide from an enemy. I could do that. But it's you, one like myself. So somebody I would consider a brother, a cohort, a, a similar person. My companion, David calls him. My close friend. So Ahithophel was a close friend. They, they had uh, intimate secrets. They didn't tell everybody everything that they told each other. They were close. There was an intimacy to their friendship. He says, with one with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. We worshiped God together. We were on the same side of the altar. We bowed down and worshiped God. And he, we both said he was the most high. And he said, and we walked about among the worshipers. We're part of the family of God together. And so this, this speaking to this person face to face, as it were, he's telling God, he's telling himself how bad it feels i re this really hurts and these are the reason it hurts because i trusted you and i thought you were on my side i thought we were on the same side and now you're an enemy and so then looking at the whole psalm the part that gets resolved in verse 20 he talks to his he talks about his friend this time but not to him he says my companion attacks his friends and he violates his covenant you see, it's not just that we were the same. I thought we were, but it turns out we weren't because he violates his covenant. He doesn't keep his promise. His talk is smooth as butter. He's slick. He can sure make me feel good, yet war is in his heart. I realize now that what I thought was a trusted friend was really a hating person, a person who had war in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil. He, was, he could make you feel like the sun came out. He could say the right thing and make you so encouraged. And yet now I realize that they were drawn swords. David is experiencing firsthand that the blows of a friend are more faithful than the kisses of an enemy. And here the smooth talk is war in his friend's heart. They were drawn swords. His enemy was really a wicked person. 
And so he's grieved it out. He's, he's, he's discussed with God how painful it was to lose this friend. And now he yet sees with eyes that are more clear. He realizes that his friend was not the fellow covenant keeper, was a warrior against him and an enemy all along. He was a liar. And so David knows, and it's resolved in his heart. It hurts, but he comes to the truth. So that's kind of what I mean by grieving out the betrayal. And I suppose you could argue that that's much more of the prayer, and it is sort of, but the voice changed. He started talking to that person instead of to God. And so I think it's just him laying on his bed and working through the agonies of this experience. So there was the four parts of his prayer to God, then grieving out the betrayal, and now he enters another part where he rests in the judgment of God. He rests in God doing the right thing. And so if we move through our psalm here, we're down to this section. Notice the purple section where there's a small verse in the first half, and again this gets resolved again in the second half. So what I'm trying to say is he talks about the same topics once, and then again with the resolution. The first time with question marks, the second time with exclamation marks. And so God will judge. Look at verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. And so he asks God to, to do something, to, to actually deal with it as God would deal with it. God's the one who brings death, and he's the one who brings people to the realm of the dead. And it is God who brings about the ultimate judgment. But then, in the second part, he again affirms with an exclamation mark, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay, just like I asked. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful, they will not live out half their days. You see, there's consequences for being that kind of an evil person. And in general, even in this life, they live half their days. But we certainly know that in the, in the, um, in the final judgment, they will receive their just reward. And so David is comforted by the fact that God will bring down the wicked. It's his job, and God will punish the wicked. No matter how painful what they do to us, it is clear that God will resolve it in the end. And so David rests in the judgment of God. And then, funny, there's just this simple summary. He just makes a one-liner, and he, he does it at the beginning. He does it the first time through. At the very end here, there's a summary. And then at the very end, he sort of says the same thing. So the first time through, he says, As for me, I call to God, and Yahweh saves me. As for me, I, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, my friend, who's betrayed me. I don't know about you who's listening. But I've been praying to God and asking him to listen to me. And I tell him that I'm afraid, and he rescues me. And I tell him I want to fly away. And he reminds me that he's enthroned, that he's the person I can fly to. And I tell him to do something, and he does something, and I, I, he humbles them, and I can rest in God's judgment, all this stuff. I just want you to know, as for me, I call to God. My rest is in God. I'm going to call to God. And Yahweh, the Lord, he saves me. That's who I get saved by. And so in the end, I don't know what else to say except the gospel is the gospel. For me, I'm going to call out to God, and the Lord saves me. I don't know what else is going on. And then after he covers all the material, the very last verse of the psalm, when he does the summary again, he says, as for me, just like I said before, I trust in you. And so if David's voice changes back to the voice of prayer, 
It's in the very last line of the psalm. It starts out with, Lord, listen to me. Then he talks to his enemy. Then he talks to all of us. And then in the very last verse, he says, but as for me, I trust in you. I trust in you, God. And so that's how the whole story resolves. So it's kind of a really neat psalm. There's a lot of structure that's really interesting. And um, I have one more point, and that is the big idea. Let's, let's look for what the big idea in the psalm is. And I think that there's maybe a hint in the way that it's structured. So here's the whole psalm. And just like I said before, there was he, the first part was in prayer. He says, listen to me, listen to me. And God says, I hear your voice. And then um, I'm afraid. I'm so afraid. I want to run away. I, I, I'm just afraid. And, and yet it comes back. But God will rescue me unharmed, even though there are many who oppose me. And he says, I want to fly away. But then he remembers, but God is enthroned. And I don't need to be hiding. And then he says, God, please do something. But then he remembers that God is listening to the wicked. He knows what's going on and he'll humble them. And so then he grieves through the betrayal. He seeks, says, man, you were my best friend. I trusted you. But now I realize you're not a covenant keeper. Now I realize that you were just trying to hurt me all along. And then he says, God will judge. And so he asks God to bring judgment and God does. And he has this simple summary. But as for me, I trust in you. I'm going to call the Lord, and I'm going to trust in him. So that's where I go. But then I want you to notice something. Look, at there's this little verse in the second time through that stands all by itself. It doesn't get stated as an idea in the first part. I think I see these, um, what is I got, seven ideas that I found in both the first and second half of the psalm. I think there's a lot of structure. I think I can defend all that. But there's this verse 22 stands all by itself. And I wonder if it stands all by itself on purpose. Maybe this is the treasure that David wanted us to find in the whole psalm. And I think it might be. And he says, cast your cares on Yahweh, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Out of the blue, right in the middle of the psalm, towards the, towards the end of it, he just... He just has to say, cast your cares on Yahweh, and he will sustain you. I did some more research on what those words are, and the word sustain you, sustain is a good way to translate it, but there are other ways, and one of the ways you could translate it is that the Lord comprehends. Cast your cares on the Lord because he comprehends you. He gets it. He understands exactly what it feels like to be betrayed. He, he understands exactly what it feels like to be afraid. And he understands what it's like to want to fly away. And he, is, he understands what it's like for us to want him to do something. And he says, he will never let the righteous be shaken. The, the foothold that we have is not tenuous. As painful as sufferings might be, as painful as it is to go through difficulties, to be falsely accused or to have someone impugn your motives the wrong way or, or someone to betray you or, or, so, or just general suffering in general. With all these things, God will not let your foot be shaken. It might slip a little. It might teeter. There might be that sensation of weakness. And yet God is there. He comprehends and he will sustain. And he will not let you be shaken. And in the end, you will stand. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I will stand forever with him and be saved.
Amen? Well, let me pray and ask God to apply this wonderful truth to our lives. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can cast our cares on you. And as a person, and in the Lord Jesus, you understand our pain. You can comprehend what we're going through. You, Jesus, know exactly what it's like to be betrayed. And you even know what it's like to not be rescued. And so when you promise to rescue us, we know that we have a, a sure confidence that you will always be with us, that you will not let us slip. Thank you for holding on to me, Jesus. In your mighty name I pray. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about our church, online resources, and in-person services, our website is the best place to check, wpbiblefellowship.org. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus and may you grow in his grace.